She is a sports reporter for Business Insider. We welcome Meredith Cash onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Meredith? Hi, how are you? It's going well. Thanks for coming on to the show and got a lot of questions for you just regarding women's sports and just the coverage she's been doing over the last couple of months. And one of the things that stood out to me um, was the articles you did on Naomi Osaka. And just recently, I believe at the U.S. Open, um, she was wearing, I think, a Sabrina Inescu jersey um, during warmups, seemed to embrace the WNBA. And I believe that was her first WNBA game she's ever been to. Is that correct? Absolutely. I think that's that's what she said. No way to confirm that for sure. sure. But she said she was sitting courtside at Barclays Center for the Liberty uh, Mercury game, I want to say a week ago tomorrow, um, right before the U.S. Open. So it's close proximity to Queens. Um, Yeah. And it it looked like she and her crew were loving it. She was on the big screen and, uh, you know, she and Sabrina both uh work with body armor pretty closely i think they've gotten to know each other a little bit i've actually spoken to sabrina about uh talking with her and like shooting commercials with her and stuff so i think they're they're friendly um but i think it's been a cool way to see uh you know a superstar athlete on on naomi's level it's just a whole different ball game um to see her embrace the WNBA like that and really come out and say, you know, I fell in love with the game. I, I love it. Um, and then wear the Jersey during the warmups. Uh, that was just super cool. I loved how much attention it got. And I, I hope people were kind in the comments because they're not always, yeah. of course, but yeah, it was great to see. What does her kind of lack for a better term endorsement? Um, what does, what, what does that do for the WNBA as a league at large? Yeah, I mean, I think I don't think it's fair to say it gives the WNBA credibility because the WNBA has credibility in and of itself. But I think it allows people who, let's be honest here, a lot of times our first instinct just because of the way we've been socialized to talk about women's sports is to knock them down and to make jokes about the WNBA and the money and the, you know, get back in the kitchen and all of these sexist sure. tropes. Um, I think Naomi is pretty well respected. And I think we can, we can point to someone like Billie Jean King and all of the people after her who have taken tennis and made, made women's tennis a mainstream sport. People don't really question Serena Williams as a, as a women's athlete, right? Like Women's tennis is just as high profile as the men's. And there's a reason they are so far ahead of other sports in this country and around the world. Um, So I think for Naomi, who's, you know, enjoying that, the benefits of that to say, hey, look, like this sport's awesome, too. And by the way, she's she's an owner um, or she's part of an ownership group in the National Women's Soccer League as well. So she's she's all over the place in women's sports. Um, but to, to see her embracing it that way, I think it allows some people whose automatic instinct is to shut those sports down, to loosen up a little bit and say, Hey, maybe, maybe this deserves a second look. Maybe this is more legit than I had chalked it up to be. And it is, I think people, when they give the WNBA a chance, they tend to see that it's more than what they expected or what they were told. For sure. I completely agree with you. Um, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned earlier that with women's tennis, there's not that disconnect. It's tennis, you know, male or female. But in basketball, it seems like there's just 
some kind of, I don't know, mental block or something going on based on sexism or misogyny or just based on these the coverage in the media that there's always just that caveat of, oh, it's just women's basketball. What can the WNBA do specifically to narrow that gap? Because I feel like I'll make this comparison with Ronda Rousey that happened just a few years ago. There wasn't that gap. She was a great fighter, period. There was no, she wasn't, she's a great women's fighter. She was a mass, a megastar and yeah. people watched her because she was a great fighter at the time. But yet with women's basketball, the league, the WNBA's, you know, been around for 25 years and we're still having this discussion. Do you, what do you, can you think the league can do to kind of narrow that gap? You think? Yeah. I mean, I think that, when you ask players and you talk to people who are closely associated with the league, there's, there's a conversation about how, while it's the same sport, it's a very different product. No one's, no one's trying to market themselves as NBA 2.0. I think, you know, a lot of naysayers will say, Oh, they don't dunk, which by the way, Brittany Griner is yeah. dunking all the time <laughs> exactly. now. So, yes. okay. Um, but you know, it's, it's all about the, the differences in athleticism. Um, and I think players say, Hey, like respect our product for what it is. It's a separate product. Um, and I, I think those comparisons make it all the more difficult for the WNBA to, to break through because it makes it look as though it's second string. Um, whereas it's, it's a different game when you watch, it doesn't it doesn't exactly feel like a W or like an NBA game because it's not the different product. They play the, the game differently. You know, it's just different. And I think that um, marketing the league in and of itself, which I think the league has done a much better job of doing in recent years, rather than as a one-to-one to the NBA is a massive step in doing that. And I think, we can all open our minds to that as well and try and stray away from the direct one-to-one comparisons. I'm guilty of it myself. I think, you know, recently I wrote a story about how Jonquil Jones to me plays just like a Kevin Durant. And when you watch their game, they do play similarly. Sure. But, you know, I don't think that means that the whole package needs to be held up to the NBA standard, we can enjoy two great things as separate entities and just enjoy them both differently. Yeah, I completely agree. To your point of just marketing of the league, what do you think of ESPN, the way that they present the WNBA felt like during the pandemic, during the bubble, they made huge strides in presenting the television product. What do you make of it? during this season, considering there's fans back, things are somewhat, you know, back to normal from a television perspective. Do you think ESPN has kind of kept up um, their improvement of the coverage, or do you think they've regressed this season? Um, I think their coverage has still been good. I I, uh, take issue with some of the uh, league pass uh, snafus, for lack of a better term, that I I often run into where, you know, it's like I bought League Pass and I can't access X, Y, and Z game. Hmm. Sometimes I find that the games are harder to access than I would like them to be. But I think we need to take a moment and like respect the progress that has been made three years ago. I don't think having access to games with this much regularity would would even be fathomable. Um, So kudos to 
ESPN for upping their coverage and other networks too, frankly. Um, I, I would say that there's always work to be done though. I think it's very frustrating when we've got a, a major matchup in the WNBA relegated to ESPN2, ESPNU, those types of you know secondary networks. And then there's a replay of God knows what NBA game or a football game. It's a replay, you know, we can, yeah. we can give prime slotting to women's sports, especially okay. when it's going up against something that's already been out in, in the ether for a while. Um, and I think we, we have evidence to suggest that that's, <laughs> that's useful for ESPN as well. Right. We, yeah. every game that uh, the WNBA is able to put on ABC breaks some sort of record, has hundreds of thousands, if not, I would say hundreds of thousands of fans tuning in on a Saturday midday, random Saturday. You know, the ratings are there. The demand is there. We've seen it all over the place um, with, you know, with merchandise, with NFTs, you name it. Like the fans are ready to put their money where their mouth is. And I think it's it's mostly about providing the opportunity for, for those fans to engage because I don't see them stopping that anytime soon. Agreed. Um, you brought up NFTs and um, my co-host who's usually here, we have done coverage on NBA Top Shot. The WNBA recently released um, their editions of Top Shot. <laughs> I read your Twitter and it seems like they're kind of back and forth in terms of the NFT craze. What do you what do you make of it so far? Do you think this is going to be like a legitimate, um, I guess what you lack of a term, just a form of like these digital collectibles, um, I guess, taking over traditional sports collectibles, such as trading cards or more fan inactivity. Do you think this is going to be um, a new trend or do you think this is a fad that, you know, two years from now we're not going to remember? You know, I think it'll stick around. I don't know the extent to which it will take over, but I think I sort of liken it to if, if you handed me like a sports, a physical sports trading card from God knows what league. Yeah. I wouldn't care. It's a piece of cardboard, right? Sure. Sort of the same way if, if you hand me an NFT and I don't really, I'm not engaged with whoever's on the NFT or featured on this, like, I don't care. But the second that, and you cited my Twitter, the second the WNBA came into play and I was like, oh, it's Stewie. Oh, it's Sue Bird. Oh, it's John Paul Jones. Like I was in, I think that's the way we engage with most things, right? Like when, when we have personal stake in it, it matters. Yeah. So I don't know about overtaking traditional, uh, like traditional collectibles per se. I, I still think there's something to be said about, um, having something in hand, maybe that makes me like an old fart and a traditionalist who's to say, but uh, I think they're fun. You know, like I said, if you're engaged with it and it's just cool to, to open something up and, and be able to say that you have a piece in it. So I, I have spent a little more money than I think me a month ago would have been happy about. So it's fine. <laughs> 
I think I was in your same position because I was a total skeptic. I went from thinking it's completely ridiculous. I can watch these highlights on YouTube, right. just type in this, and then I got totally hooked. I mean, <laughs> I just think the beauty of it is that you see a highlight NBA, WNBA that takes place, like for instance, tonight. And then you, you were excited about what that top shot's going to look like. So you, you know, you have instant engagement. Whereas I think with the trading cards, I think they can exist with NFT just because it's kind of two different things. Um, even though they do similar functions, it's, you know, one's physical one, you know, a trading card has its own unique look to it compared to, you know, top shot. I mean, you have, you know, plenty of YouTube channels, you know, hosting their own parties, opening their packs. I mean, it's kind of a whole deal now. So yeah. I think both can kind of, you know, coexist in the same space. I agree. And, and one thing I will say, um, obviously I'm biased and I'm a women's sports reporter, but I think it's cool to get in on the, on the WNBA side of things because it really feels like an investment. It's sort of, there's a lot of demand there. Don't get me wrong. I think there were like 70 or 80,000 people in the queue when I was oh, wow. in there. It, it's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I picked up a Brianna Stewart highlight. I picked up Asia Wilson and it's like, I feel like in 10 years, those people are going to be regarded as even more legendary than they are now. Like that really feels like a good investment to me for a $9 pack, you know, for sure. or, or a $10 if you just get the highlight on its own type thing. It's, it's a cool thing as an investment in addition to like in and of itself being able to say, hey, look, I have this thing. So it's a win-win. Yeah, totally agree with you. Um, Meredith, I want to pick your brain about the actual uh, WNBA season. Um, this has been, again, another unusual season at the fact that we've had, you know, it's an Olympic year, um, the Commissioner's Cup. Um, what do you make of what you're seeing on the courts so far? And do you think, you know, with the kind of midseason break and the Commissioner's Cup, do you think that's affected the, the what you see it on the court in a positive or negative sense. What, what do you make of kind of these changes this season? Yeah. Um, I liked the commissioner's cup because I just think it's a great way to experiment with the format of the league in general. See, I, I don't think that any commissioner of any league, especially a young one like the NB, the WNBA or any other women's league, frankly, should be afraid to experiment with those things. Um, I know that there's been talk in the NBA of doing things like that. And so the WNBA was like, why not? It gives uh, players an incentive to, to really go all in early on in the season, which I think maybe problem would be too strong a word, but it was something that the league was noticing where, you know, you could ramp things up in the second half of the season and be okay. Um, and, you know, fan engagement waned early on for the same reason. And I think, you know, the NBA has had similar issues with that. Um, so I like the Commissioner's Cup. I can quote Sue Bird saying that uh, something about the trophy weighs about as much as the extra money they're winning. You know, <laughs> WNBA players will take as much extra money as they can get. Obviously, they're not paid uh, sure. in a similar way to the men. Um so I, I, I thought it was fun. I, I'm not sure I gave the the Commissioner Cup games in the lead up any more credence than another game, but it was fun to uh, stay engaged with the, the standings early on. And, uh, I, you know, that game was 
uh, finals preview, basically. The, the Sun are top of the league, the Connecticut Sun, and the Storm are a perennial powerhouse. You, you had a great matchup in John Cole Jones and, and Brianna Stewart. It was awesome, you know? Uh, who can complain about more basketball that way? Um, I do think post-Olympics break, you're seeing some teams have a letdown, obviously it impacted some more than others. Prime example is the Seattle Storm who had Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart and Jewel Lloyd all at the Olympics. Yeah. Not only there, but like playing significant minutes. The three of them are obviously stars. Um, and so now they've, I want to say they're playing tonight and they're on like a three game losing streak, which is kind of unheard of for Seattle. They just don't really lose. Um, well, I think that kind of speaks to the fact that, you know, half of their starting, more than half of their starting five is exhausted. <laughs> they're probably still a little jet lagged. Um, but that, that's sort of the nature of the beast. It's hard, it's hard to avoid something like that. And compared to other leagues, uh, in the U S like the NWSL, for example, which didn't take a break, I think taking a break and having those players for the whole season is better than not. Um, but you know, you still face some repercussions. Uh, and I will say that the plus side of that is there's a there's like a tight race for for the top of the the league right now. I would I would say the parity in the WNBA is uh, pretty remarkable, especially compared to a few years back. And just the history of the league has been a couple of powerhouses, and then everyone else trying to uh, scrap for crumbs, basically. Um, and we're seeing that there are there are probably five or six teams who could feasibly win it all um and certainly all but a few are in the race for uh for a playoff spot which which is so fun you know they're in the past you've had a lot of teams where it's like we know from from the jump that they're not going to be competitive it's not really like that anymore and i think that's a testament to how much the league has grown um just in the last few years and how much uh, giving giving the league time and resources to grow into itself has paid off. Um, you mentioned about growth, and I saw some tweets regarding expansion. Um, is that something that you foresee happening in the future? And if you do, do you think that's a good idea? And I guess our third question, where do you think there should be? I live in Denver, Colorado, so I'm a fan of women's basketball. I'm originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico, just with the, the college basketball tradition there with the Lobos. Um, so I have a couple of ideas in terms of a city that may not be maybe off the beaten path, so to speak. So do you think expansion is a good idea for the league? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the biggest things you saw going into this season was that really, really talented players, maybe superstars on the college level or uh, players who have been in the league for a time just didn't make teams because there were not enough roster spots, you know? There are only, the, the number is 144 that flies around. Obviously it changes, you know, over the course of a season and between seasons, but- sure roughly 140 players in this league and that's that's not uh that's not enough i think that 
we can, you know, the league has been around and proven itself like worthy of having more competition, more variety. Uh, like I said before about um, the TV ratings and, and just giving the fans something to consume. I think that more teams, especially if they have the foundation of like strong ownership groups, um, good, good um, research put into exactly where they should be. Um, I think, I think it's a big win for the league. The league has been transparent about looking into that, although they haven't, they haven't come out with any firm plans. They've said their intention is to for like, set itself up to expand in the next few years because I think they see too that they're losing prime years of talent because they don't have enough roster spots. Um, and it's also, you know, I just got done saying that the Seattle Storm have three all-stars on their team, like spread them out a little, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think it'll add a little bit of spice to the league. We're, we're talking about parity. I think more teams, you get more of that. Um, Plus, you have so many untapped markets across the country where you could have teams. Um, I want to say that just in WNBA circles, the the um, Bay Area is the one that's dropped most frequently as like there's been reporting that it could be in the works. I think maybe some sort of connection to the Warriors. Some players have pushed back maybe in jest about how expensive San Francisco is and have said sure. maybe pick a more affordable city. That's true. Um, yeah. But I think the fans are really eager to bring back um, the Charlotte Sting. Everyone loved having a team in Charlotte. I've heard Houston because of the comic yeah. dynasty. But, um, you know, there's a Dallas team, so maybe, maybe they'll keep uh, – keep it state by state for a while and then bring a second team into a close ish uh, region later on. I'm not, I'm not an expert on that front, but uh, that would make sense to me. I think Southern Florida could have a team. Miami would be great. Um, I've also heard Philadelphia, which that's another one. Think Don Staley, you're, you know, that's a basketball capital. Why not? But uh Maybe Denver. Maybe maybe yeah. they maybe they take it to your state. I I could see that being a lot of fun. And I know that uh, Sue Bird has a connection with the Nuggets, I believe. So make it happen. I wouldn't I wouldn't put anything past Sue. Dove totally totally agree. Do you see any consequences? You mentioned just the roster spots. I mean, if they don't, it just seems to be like an almost embarrassment of riches, sort of speak. Um, if they don't address this, do you see maybe I don't any foreseen consequences um, with having kind of a, um, a surplus of talent out there. Um, most, you know, we, we all know the story about players in the, in the WNBA playing overseas. Um, is there a chance that maybe a league overseas um, kind of rises in popularity? Cause I think from basketball fans, all we hear about is this, the women going overseas, but we don't know too much about these overseas leagues. Um, I think that goes for the men's games too. So do you see any kind of unforeseen consequences that, Hey, if the WNBA doesn't kind of capitalize on this, you know, talent that's out there, they could have a rival league on their hands if they are not careful. Yeah. I mean, I think that 
I think that a lot of, candidly, I think the WNBA has gotten lucky that a lot of its stars have made a priority to play stateside. You know, they know how important it is to grow the game domestically and that you're only going to grow a league if you have the top players engaged with it and actually showing up. But uh, it's interesting that you ask because the WNBA has its new CBA from January 2020, I want to say. And that says that in a few years, if you miss the early days of the WNBA, like the season, like training, um, the... (laughs) The uh, you're gonna get fined. You you can't oh, wow. you can't miss it. Um, yeah. And that that's the very end of the Euro League and the uh, the Russian leagues, the leagues in Turkey. These are the popular leagues that most of the women stars go to. And like you said, that's where they get their money. Um, and so I was listening to a podcast recently. It's the one hosted by Asia Wilson and Nafisa Collier. Um, T with A and Fee, and they had um, Arike Agumbawale on, and she basically said, you know, the league's going to have to pay up because if I'm not getting paid what I'm due yeah. here, I, I literally cannot, I would like to stay and play here, but I cannot afford to forego my salary abroad just to stay here and prove a point. So I think that they're, the league is taking a gamble on itself by doing that. Um, and, and I'm hopeful that the salaries follow as a result. Um, I think time will tell whether that happens, but certainly the league is shouldering some risk with that, but, but maybe it proves to be an investment at the end of the day. One last question um, to that point. If, I guess the worst possible scenario of ECM mass exodus um, of players playing, you know, internationally. Uh, how much do you think that's going to hurt just the game in America as a whole? Um, and or do you think of it just because you know social media and this technology, basketball fans could would ultimately just flock to those international leagues? I think that's tough to say. I I would say that casual fans are likely to follow their favorite college stars into the league. I think that's, that's been part of the WNBA strategy. It explains why there's a Connecticut team before bigger market teams come into play, right? Because UConn is a powerhouse. And so they have a fan base there. Um, That's obviously harder to do if the players go straight from, Yukon, for example, or South Carolina to Russia. Um, Those leagues, I don't, I think that those leagues would have to do some legwork to capture um, American fans just because the product is a little difficult to get behind just personally as someone who has tried to follow it, just following my favorite players, you know, a lot of the broadcasts are not in English, which is okay, but it's hard to follow along with stats. Um, There's a time difference component, obviously. Um, And it's just a very different system. It's sort of like 
European soccer where there are all these different cups to follow. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible. I think once you learn the ropes, it can be a lot of fun, but I don't think it's necessarily a one-to-one comparison, but surely, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think the WNBA loses out on fans in the case that it's big stars just go overseas and don't come back. Um, and I think that maybe the European leagues, the Russian leagues, they have a chance to pick up on those fans, but more likely it's just that fans drop out of the women's basketball equation, which would be a shame. It would be totally unfortunate. Hopefully they uh, they work something out so we can <laughs> keep those players here selfishly. I hope um, so too. Meredith, thanks for joining the show. Really appreciate it. Please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media and then anything else you're working on for the rest of the year as well. Yeah, sure. Um, I will continue to cover the WNBA and other women's sports uh, for Insider. And you can find me on uh, the Insider Sports page and post in articles almost every day. Um, Or you can follow my work through my Twitter. I'm uh, at Merikash22. And I am tweeting all the time, probably more than I should be. So you can find me there. Um, Maybe I'll follow you back. We'll see. (laughs) I I, uh, would love to engage with you. Appreciate it, Meredith. Thanks very much for your time. Yeah, thank you.